0: weeks I appreciate you being here I know for me the the first service and uh, to a degree this service too kind of feels almost like a a family reunion because we've had snow on Saturday night or Sunday morning for almost two months which has made attendance kind of difficult for uh, many of us including myself I remember getting up I think almost at about 5 a.m. in the morning to get clear of about a couple feet of snow to get here and and uh, it looks like uh, we're on the tail end of that hopefully um, and uh, it's just so good to see so many of you and uh, that that I haven't seen in a few weeks and um, of course uh, our visitors as well it's always good to have you um, a <clears throat> couple things I want to I'm going to start I, I gave the first service an option I'm not going to give you the the, the option I, I had asked the first service you want good news first or bad news first and uh, and we're going to go with bad news first I'm gonna give you some good news okay um, so here's bad news Bad news is, um, you know, as a and it isn't bad news. God's in control of all things, but you know, there are seasons in ministry uh, for the elders and pastors that are a little bit more difficult than others. And we're in we're in kind of a difficult season as a church. And what I mean by that, uh, it, you know, we went through the book of James, which I'm wondering if the Lord just timed that perfectly in regards to trials and tribulations and suffering. But we've got a lot of people who are struggling right now. Um, a lot of people have had. Surgeries, few diagnoses of cancer. Uh, we've got one gal that uh, we love with all of our heart, who's in hospice, uh, just starting last week, and so she's going to get ready to go see the Lord. And she told Wayne this week, she said, "I'm not afraid. I'm ready." And um, and those things are hard. And then in addition to that, not only have we had you know, all that medical kind of stuff, but there are people struggling spiritually um, with depression and anxiety, and that might even relate to some of you. And um, and so. Uh, we recognize. I'm going to take a few moments for us to just pray, but we we recognize it's a spiritual battle. And we need to fight that spiritual battle in the spiritual realm, and we need to be praying for our congregation, and our people, and and for ourselves as a whole. So, uh, and then and then good news. We'll finish with good news, and then we'll pray over all of it. Okay. So good news is um, uh, we we are doing some really great things as a church as a whole. Uh, we uh, th- we support a missionary. His name is Jeff Gilpin. Many of you know him. And he's our Awana missionary, and what he does is he helps plant and strengthen uh, Awana programs across Arizona, uh, Nevada, and somewhat in California as well. And then he occasionally does stuff abroad, and um, he's doing an amazing job planting all kinds of programs, encouraging pastors. And just so you know, if you're not aware, our Awana program uh, is a program that is dedicated to teaching kids Scripture, helping them memorize Scripture, and then teaching them what it is to love Jesus. Uh, my wife serves there. My kids all go there. It's a great program. Uh, it's been a program we've had for over 30 years, and they're just doing a tremendous job. Well, Jeff, tie back a little bit. I got emailed from a gal who helps plant programs internationally uh, last week, and she said, I know you're part of the, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and we'd love to partner with you where we can. And and um, I said, yeah, that'd be great. I want to introduce you to Jeff, connected her with Jeff. And then after Jeff talked to her, Jeff said, I don't know if you know this, uh, within the United States there are 10 10,000 Awana programs. So that's how many exist in the U.S., 10,000. Yep, praise the Lord for that. Um, gets even better, though. I'm not done. And uh, out of those 10,000, uh, the, the Awana um, headquarters considers our church uh, one of the top most valued churches in America. And to be on that list, you have to be in the top 100 out of 10,000. We are, hold on, wait. We're number 45, so praise the Lord, yeah. So out of our church, really cool things, and I, I told Ben Lynn, he's our Awana director, I said, I don't know what it's going to take, but we're going to be number one, got it? So, um, no, I just, can, can, I didn't do this in the first service, I just, uh, in this one. If you serve in Awana, would you stand so we could just honor you for teaching those kids scripture, and I know the, the Howards do, and, yep. Yeah, thank you guys. And they're always looking for more leaders, right? You can have a seat. Thank you. So that's pretty neat. And then uh, I keep getting asked, when are you doing? When are you doing uh, Ruth? When are you doing Ruth? And and because I've already announced it and I've put it out there, we're going to start at the end of March, the thirty-first, as when we'll kick that off, and um, we'll we'll dive into that book. And what we've done for you, uh, people tell me almost every week that I don't give them enough room to take notes in the program you get and 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 i get these complaints that you know hey more notes more notes and um and so what we've done is we've purchased for uh for you for purchase in the bookstore these esv um scripture journals i don't know if you've seen these or not but they're they're wonderful i have the entire biblical set the one i hold in my hands right now is just the book of ruth we got about 15 of them in the bookstore on sale for about six bucks Uh, And they've got scripture on one side and then the ability to journal on the other side. And so if you're one of those people who've complained to me uh, over the last few months, this is for you, okay? And so I want to encourage you to get it. And then we have one New Testament set. So if you say, hey, I don't want to just buy Ruth. I want all of the New Testament. We have that available. Uh, We don't have the whole Old Testament available because it's pretty pricey, but we can order it for you on request if you want it. Um, And so what I'm going to do this morning is, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. If you can answer the question, you can have this one for free. And so the question is: Here's the quiz. Who wrote the Book of Ruth? Anyone know the answer? So, oh, this is beautiful. Same thing happened in the first service. No one wants to say Ruth. No one? It wasn't Ruth, so that's why you. It's a trick question, kind of. Any anyone else want to think a moment? So, don't get on your phone. Don't Google it. What'd you say? Nope. Paul just start throwing out names. Jesus, yeah. We don't. Oh my gosh, that's like the, that's the most technically accurate uh, answer. Say it out really loud. We don't know, but it's assumed it's Samuel. So we're gonna go ahead and give it to you. That that's a great answer. That's Awana right there. That, that's what happens when you go through Oana. yeah? You're a Timothy Award winner, aren't you? Okay. Um, that's great uh if you don't have a Bible this morning I see my guys were holding them I'm sorry uh, raise your hand they'll give you a Bible we're gonna be in Philippians chapter two um, we're doing part two of a two part series on humility and service and um, if you have uh, before we do that as I mentioned is th- those are being handed out um, we you know we've got as I mentioned, we have another galloner church. Many of you know her, her name's Natalie. And Natalie's been undiagnosed with something we don't know what it is. Could be lupus, could be, you know, they don't know. She's gone through a lot of tests. She's one of those individuals we want to pray for. And so I, I do have enough material to go quite a bit uh, here this morning. And we've got communion, and there's kind of a time frame in my mind that, you know, oh, we've got to get this stuff done. And like I said at the first service, I'll say it to you, um, you know, those needs and celebrations that continue. Uh, it's just important that we pray, and so I want to encourage us right now as a family to just bow our heads and our hearts. And I want you to pray for our church. And some of some of some of you know the names, some of you don't know, um, and maybe it's you. And I just want to encourage you right now as a family, if we could just take a moment of silence, and in your heart, just seek the Lord, ask Him to defend us, ask Him to bring healing, ask Him to continue to help us grow. So, and I'll close. So just please take a few moments uh, to bow your heads and your hearts as we pray for those who are in our congregation who are hurting in some way or another. We honor you, Lord, this morning. Thankful that we have access to you. We can speak to you at any moment, Lord, and we can talk to you at any given time. And, Lord, I'm just starting uh, really a practice we need to continue probably daily, Lord, moment by moment to pray for ourselves, our families, one another, our church as a whole. You know every individual that's going through something by name. You care for them greatly. And we know, Lord, as James teaches us, that we're to take it all joy, that what we go through is, as Paul says, momentary and light affliction. For we live for eternity, not this life alone. We ask for you to fight the spiritual battle where we're being spiritually attacked. As Lord, I, I have this feeling that we are doing a lot of good here in our community and in the lives of those who come. And Satan would would desire to destroy that and to take it down. I pray, Lord, that you would fight the enemy on our behalf. We admit we're too frail and weak to do it on our own. We're in desperate need for you to be our defender and our cover, Lord. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, church said, amen. If you have the ability this morning to stand, I'd invite you to stand with me as we read from Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered of news of you. For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not of those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send to him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself may come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he's been longing for all for you all and has been distressed because you he heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord, and the church said, Amen. You may be seated. So I know some of you weren't, probably weren't here last week. And, um, and if, you didn't, uh, if you weren't, there's opportunity for you to listen to the message online. And whether it's through iTunes or uh, on our YouTube or on our website, it's all available for you. And the reason I say that is because this is part two of a two-part series. So I wanted initially, if you, if you remember last week, I said I wanted initially to talk about service and the joy of service that God desires us to be involved in the work of God. Uh, one of the, the great things that came out of the Reformation, breaking from the Catholic Church, is the statement that was made that the common coalman, the, the guy who worked in the coal mines, and the common plowman, the man who worked in the plow field, could actually know just as much of Scripture as the Pope. It's a very controversial statement, but nonetheless, uh, it was a statement that caused common man, common people to begin to desire a relationship with jesus christ and that they could be used by god and uh and to work with the lord is that understanding that that everyone no matter what you do no matter what your work is no matter what you're involved in is the work unto god whether it's a lawyer or a coach or a school teacher or whatever it is that you do you can do it unto the lord Uh, and the question sometimes is asked you know well you know god doesn't need me maybe you felt that way god doesn't need me which i've likened uh That kind of to the experience when, well, it's the experience I've had even this year. When we get snow and uh, one of my children, if not all of my children, desire to grab a shovel and try to help move the snow. Now, my eight-year-old is just now getting to that point where he's somewhat worthwhile, right? The others are completely worthless. And I don't say that to degrade them, especially if you have heavy, heavy, wet snow. They just don't have the ability to move the snow, So in fact, when they come out, especially if I'm using the snowblower, when they come out with a shovel to help me, they actually make my job harder. Uh, Several times this year, I have said to my children, don't walk in front of the snowblower, you will die. To which they don't listen, uh, obviously, but um, there's still a joy to having them out there. They don't make the job easier. They don't even get the job done. I have to be the one that does it. I'm the worker. I'm the director. But it's a joy to have my children to be a part of that process. I even remember as a child being with my father who raised me, getting underneath, he was a mechanic, getting underneath a truck or a car and him teaching me righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Stuck with me forever, and I'm sure it has for you as well. I also have fond memories of him banging his knuckles against said car uh, to one degree or another and then praising the Lord afterwards. They build memories, and, and, but he didn't need me under the car. I wasn't making his job easier. It's the same way in ministries, the same way in service under the Lord. God doesn't need you, but he wants you to be involved in him as a father does his child. And what I said last week stands true this week as well. If we're going to be in a place where we're actually going to be of service to the Lord, of any good, we have to have humility. And that's what we talked about last week what pride is, and what humility is. And we saw in chapter 2 of Philippians last week, in the first segment, uh, verses 1 through basically 15 or so, that we're to have this same mind that was in Christ Jesus, a humble mind, Christ who was God, emptying himself, if you will, to a certain degree into manhood, coming from heaven and entering into our sin, covering himself in our sin. Dying on a cross, dying a, a true sinner's death, though he had done nothing wrong. We see a great humility in Christ. We see in his humility before his death, he removes him, the robes of, of a rabbi, puts the cloth of a slave around him, bows down on his knees, and does the work of only uh, that only was due for a slave to do, only fitting for a slave, let alone a rabbi, and he washes his disciples' feet and then declares this Is something we have to do as an example of him. So my first point to tie in this morning is we cannot make what I share this week work without the humility of Jesus Christ. He's the primary example. He's the one that we look to. He's the one we celebrate. And he is the one that we worship. After making that declaration in the beginning of chapter 2, Paul then moves to himself as a point of example of service. Not only has Jesus served, but Paul then talks about his service. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give us basically a character study of three men tied into the life of Christ. Obviously, Christ is the foremost, the life of Paul, then the life of Timothy, and then the life of Epaphroditus, the examples of these men. The first thing we can understand about Paul in regards to his service is that it was marked by a deep love for God's people. He genuinely cared about the development of others. He genuinely cared for people. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this in this letter. He says, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. If we're going to serve one another, if we're going to make our jobs really an act of service unto the Lord, you have to have a genuine concern for the people that you serve and love. You have to actually love them, you have to actually care for them. In fact, Last night I woke up several times with the church on my mind and my heart. I just couldn't really sleep. Almost like a restless leg syndrome kind of thing, you know. And, uh, and you can do one of two things. You can either uh, go take a Tylenol PM, which I didn't do, because then preaching this morning would be a whole other kind of preaching. Or you can just take it for what it is and start to pray. So I did, much as I just called you to do this morning. Praying for individuals in my mind, knowing certain people are going through certain struggles, and asking the Lord to provide an intervention within that. And inevitably what happens is I think Satan knows you begin to pray, and then he does his job of helping you fall asleep. You have to actually care. And I would tell you this morning, because some of you probably don't care. (laughs) Some of you say, well, I don't really love my neighbor. And at that point, we have to then ask God to intercede on our behalf to give us the love for people inside of the church as well as outside of the church. The people that we serve, the people that we're around, the people that we work for. How many of you would say that you absolutely love your boss? Wow, I wasn't expecting your hands to go up. Your dad's your boss. That doesn't count, Ben. Now, that's great that you love your boss. How many of you love your coworkers? All of them. Well, relationships are difficult. There's less hands that time, by the way. How many of you actually love your children? Um, point being, Paul cared about people. Yeah. Are you guys arguing over here, trying to figure out if you love one another? Um, point one, he had a deep love for people. To serve well, we have to actually care for each other. And again, if we don't have that love, we should pray. Point two, he served unreservedly. Paul didn't hold back. He didn't put conditions and barriers. I'll only serve uh, if this happens, or only serve if this happens. He was willing to just put it all out there. He was willing to dive in. He was willing to get his hands dirty. It was an unreserved love he had for his people. He actually says it in the same passage we read in Philippians. He says, says, "I, I need to send these people to you. I need to hear how you're doing. So that way my anxiety will come to a place of peace. He's anxious. He, he's in a place where he says that through affliction. Abundant love I have for you. I'm in pain. I, I love you so much it hurts. And so he lays his life down, which leads us to point three. He served sacrificially. He actually uses the language, much of that of the cross. I'm a drink offering. I've laid my life down. I'm willing to die for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says it this way. I think that God exhibited us apostles, speaking of himself as a leader, as well as the other apostles, we are like men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. He goes on and says, we are weak. He says we're held in death's repute. He says, we hunger, we thirst, we're poorly dressed and buffeted, we're homeless, we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and are still like scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Then you know what he says in verse 16? I urge you then to be imitators of me. That's a sales point, isn't it? Hey, you want to serve? You got to be like the scum of the earth. It goes back to humility. Right? We, when we think of humility and Paul's humility and Christ's humility, we, we have to understand that, that humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, just the scum of the earth. It's, it's really not thinking of yourself at all. Tim Keller's got a wonderful book on it called uh, uh, something the, the Joy of Self-Forgetfulness. I listened to it recently, not that long ago, on audiobook. It's a 40-minute listen. It's a short book. And he talks about this joy that, that in humility it's, it's letting go. It's not, it's not making yourself the center of attention. In fact, when you get in a conversation, you, you're not worried about you and you're not thinking about you. It's, it's self-forgetfulness. You're not the center of any. You're just absorbed in the moment, absorbed in the person, absorbed in that, that particular situation, and, and you're not even thinking of you. Doesn't that just sound peaceful? Half the time in my life, if not more, I'm just like, if I could just not think about me, I'd be great. And this is what he's talking about. That he's focused on the church, he's focused on the purposes of God, and 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 he's willing, he's willing to take his whole schedule and move it around so that he can serve people for Jesus Christ. Ben Lynn was here this morning. We got to honor him with Awana, and and here's a guy with four kids shows up every Tuesday, serves people. In fact, if you call Ben, and, and Ben Ben runs a, this is kind of a sales point to give Ben business. I guess it's not on purpose, but. If you have something wrong with your house, you give Ben a call, and Ben will come fix it. And One of the things I have to tell Ben, every time he helps me with something, I say, invoice me. Invoice me. And you know most people, when you say say something like that, okay, uh, you know what, man? You're the pastor of the church. I don't want to invoice you. Ministry, I love you. Don't worry about it. It's free. He doesn't do that because he knows I'm not going to take that for an answer. So you know what he does? Hey, man, I'll invoice you. And then you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't invoice me. And I gotta go. Hey, hey! I gotta like knock on his door. He lives in Florida. I have to go down there, beat him up, give him hundred dollars. He's sacrificial in his service. He's just one example of many. Can I ask you a question? Are you willing to lay your life down? Are you willing to lose a certain amount of of money because you want to bless people? Are you you willing to to not ski as much because you want to bless people? Are you willing not to watch as much television, play as many video games, not have as much recreation time because, because you're just in love with God and you're in love with God's people because they bear the image of God? To serve people is to serve Christ. My son said the other day at the table, about another particular child. He said, well, that, per- that kid's mean. I said, you can't talk like that. Why? Well, they are. It's true. It's mean. And, and they said, I'm not making fun of them. I said, you are to a degree. And when I told my son, I said, "You know, do you know that particular child you're talking about, that particular person that you're talking about, do you know that particular person is made in the image of God, that that child bears the mark of Jesus Christ? I said, so in essence, to talk bad about them, you're actually talking bad about God. To which he went, well, no, no, I would never do that. But we do it all the time. To curse men is to curse God. We need to be sacrificial. We need to serve the worst of the worst. Number four, he was aware of his weakness. Paul knew he was weak. 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, this trustworthy is deserving of full acceptance. This saying is trustworthy of... And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief and foremost. Jewish tradition actually speaks of Paul. Uh, Paul actually says that he's got this thorn in his flesh. There's some kind of weakness there. But much of Jewish tradition teaches that Paul was very weak. And actually, if you study tradition about what Paul was like, it said that he, he was very uncomely. He just was not a good-looking dude. In fact, uh, it was said that that his face was marred and scarred. That that he, he was ugly and that he walked with a, a kind of a limp and he was, he was just hung over and that he was probably blind. that If you looked at Paul, you wouldn't say, that guy is the leader of the church. That guy plants churches. He's the church network guy. You wouldn't look at him. You'd, you'd look at him and go, there's something wrong with that guy. And indeed there was. He was broken. He was bruised. He was left for dead. But here's, and you're going to see this Again. The point to Paul being aware of his weakness is he never allowed his weakness to keep him from serving. And I hear this as I'm discipling people, as I'm asking individuals in our church to step up, whether it's in a children's program or a youth program or a WANA program or women's ministry or a Bible study or to be a community group leader, whatever it might be. And I say, listen, would you like to serve? Would you like to help? And they, they say, yeah, I want to serve the Lord. And then I'll say, how about this? And they'll say, I'm, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not close enough with Jesus. I'm not a spiritual giant. I had a guy this week in a meeting literally tell me, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of, they just started coming to our church. He said, I'm kind of intimidated. You have so many people here that just seem to know so much of the Bible. And He goes, I'm not, I'm not a spiritual giant. That's what he said. I'm not a spiritual giant. I'm a little intimidated to be here. And I said to him, let me define to you what a spiritual giant is. A spiritual giant is somebody who's willing to continue to learn more about who Jesus Christ is. That's a spiritual giant. Are you willing to learn? And he said, yes. Welcome to the club of spiritual giantness. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So so in essence, he's like, I want to be here. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be involved, but I don't know enough. Keep coming. We're all in a stasis of growth. No one in here has obtained. Nobody has gotten to the place where, where they're way up here and you're down here. Nobody's down here. Well, actually, that's not true. We're all down here. And all of us are in, in, in a form of growth, myself included. Sometimes, sometimes, like in a season like this, and our church is struggling, I'll go to the Lord and I'll say, Lord... Is it a representation of what's happening in something in my life spiritually? Do I need to be purified? Do, do you need to do a work in me? What are you doing, Lord? I don't want to get to a place where I'm not willing to lay my life down, that I'm not willing to sacrifice certain things. That, that, and, and, and in essence, I, I don't want to say either, man, I'm weak. I, I'm weak. I can't do it. I shared this a little later on in the first service, but I'll share it here. You know, ministry isn't about you. It's about Jesus. I had a situation years ago when I was a youth pastor. It's probably within the first two years of youth ministry, 2005 or 2006. And we were playing a kickball outside. And um, myself and another leader started to argue on what a what a certain play had happened. I don't know if it was a strike or I don't know what it was. We started to argue. We started to argue in front of all of the kids. And you got 50 kids outside. And here I am arguing with another leader. And it, it got to a place where it almost almost like got physical yeah i'm not like that anymore i have been sanctified just so you know i've heard a pastor say if you really want to know someone's true spiritual stasis get into a competitive basketball or some kind of game with them and just see how they respond and uh and after after everything had gotten real tense and we'd almost ripped each other's heads off in front of the kids and everything You know, we got to a place of reconciling and a place of forgiveness, and we walked over here to the side of the building, and the kids were all starting to move over into the youth room. And in a few moments, I had to go next door, and I had to preach. And so here I am with this guy. We're reconciling. I said, hey, man, I'm sorry. Forgive me. He said, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then he looks at me. He goes, this is what he says. He says, you know what? I need to take a break, and I got to bail. I'll see you next week. I let him. Okay. You know what I had to do? I had to go preach. I've learned a long time ago that, that ministry and serving the Lord, it's not about me, and it's not about my emotions, and it's not about how I feel. It's about Jesus. And when I'm weak, he's strong. And, and just because I don't know enough, and just because I'm not intellectual enough, and all of that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use me. I, mean, I, I did not go to seminary. Now, some of you thought I did, and you, you think highly of me. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but I didn't go. My path was completely different. In many ways, I've had to be self-taught. I've had to dig in and dig deep and, and, and really do the work to try to find out what truth is. I've had to surround myself and ask questions where I can get good resources so, so I'm not spitting out theological stuff that isn't true. And at times, at times it's kind of hard. When people, and people do this. They love to do it, especially in reform circles. Where'd you go to seminary? Because when I... When the, the level of seminary, what seminary you went to is going to explain to them what kind of Christian you are, what kind of pastor you are, and whether you're good enough or not. It's always fun when I go, I didn't. At that point, I just, I just start asking, you know, start talking stupid, right? Like, we just love people at our church. It's all we teach is love, yeah. You can't let your weakness get in the way serving jesus so paul that's paul kind of quick we could say a lot more about paul obviously paul i I heard this week from uh one pastor said paul is it is easily at least in the top five most influential leaders in the history of the world think of that for a moment this was a man who was thought little of and we think about sacrificial let's be aware of something paul was the man who had it all He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was popular. He was respected. He had great authority. He probably made great money, was well taken care of. And to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. You had to have a wife. Then Paul gets saved. You know what you never hear about? You never hear his wife. It's believed in history that his wife probably left him because of his Christianity. He lost his Pharisee of Pharisee status. He lost it all because he knew that Jesus was worth it. Sacrificial service. After Paul, Paul then kind of takes the attention. Again, remember he, he's talking in the first part, as we talked about last week, the, the greatness of Jesus and Jesus' service. And then he, he shows himself as an example, but it's a humble example. He is, after all, the, the chief of all sinners. And then, and then he speaks of his protege in verse 19. This next example of service, I hope, I hope, he says, if you read with me, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests and not of those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, and I was a son with a father; he has served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him to you. Notice a few things. First of all, in regards to Timothy's service, he was a he was a protege. He was a disciple. He was a byproduct of Paul's leadership and growth. So the first first thing you have to see is, is you have to have a willingness, a willingness like Timothy, to rank yourself under somebody else and to learn from them. One thing, I didn't go to seminary, but one thing I did have when I was in San Diego for almost five years was men with good repute, good reputations, good biblical knowledge, and I ranked myself under them. And for five years, my, my attitude to those men were, was basically, whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. I've preached in soup kitchens, homeless shelters, in front of uh, different different high schools, venues, all kinds. of. If they said, do it, do it, and I did it. My very first memorial service ever, and I've shared this with you before, just very difficult, hard situation, my very first year of marriage. Here I am with Allie, you know, I'm still learning, I'm still growing, and a, a couple in the San Diego community was calling all all these churches, they said, Our baby passed away. We're looking to do a memorial service for our child. And before they contacted us, they contacted, I think it was seven other churches, all of which told them, yes, we'll do it. Here's the cost. And it was a poor couple, unmarried couple, didn't know Jesus, had a little bit of spiritual background, and they had no money. They finally get to our church, say, we got a guy. I'm the guy. I show up, prepared a little message for this couple. It was an open casket. Beautiful baby girl. Born healthy. For all purposes, born healthy. The doctors didn't catch it, but part of her intestines weren't developed. She wasn't able to. Get the nourishment that was needed, and she passed. The opportunity to come in, sit down with that couple, love that couple, hug that couple to the best of my ability. Talk about, talk about being aware of your weakness. I wasn't a father at that point. I have never done a memorial service. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't stand up there and say that to them. Welcome. I don't know what I'm doing. Nope. Lord, would you do a work in this family's life? And what I shared with him on that day to give you some hope is, and by God's grace, I was able to do it. I talked about Mary having a son who would die. She wasn't fully aware of it. Said so she pondered those things in her heart and how Jesus loved Mary and cared for Mary and how Jesus loves this family and cares about that family. What's my point to that? The point is is, is to be willing to say yes to anything and to just learn from people. Man, I asked all kinds of questions. Nothing will get you to ask questions uh, that, as fast as a situation like that. And it's stepping out in faith. So, so it's a willingness to, to be discipled, a willingness to come underneath somebody. And then, and then t- Paul adds this caveat about Timothy. says, I have no one like him. See, Timothy was uniquely gifted. That's number two. Number one, a willingness to be discipled a willingness to come underneath other good leaders, a willingness to learn and to be taught, and then number two, understand that you have a unique gift. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the gift that was given to you. Don't neglect it, Timothy, because you remember, Paul Paul actually shapes, molds, and forms Timothy to take over this church, to take over not this church, the the, um, Ephesian church. And so as he's equipping Timothy, he's telling Timothy, don't neglect this gift. And here's the deal. This reality, the Bible teaches that each one of us was given a particular grace, a particular gift for the benefit of the body to help train the body. Everybody in this room has a gift that you've been given by Jesus Christ to serve the kingdom. Every single one of you. It's not just the pastor and the preacher. My job is to get up here and to do the best I can to study the Scripture and, and do, do, do a work that, that through prayer that is, okay, when I get here on Sunday, the goal is help you fall in love with Jesus Christ and in love with the Word of God. It's not to fall in love with me. It's not to fall in love with the name Sierra Bible. It's to fall in love with Jesus. That's my job, and it's to equip you in such a way that you go and do that in all of your other individual circles and that you help do it within the church and to be willing to meet whatever need there is. Our check-in person didn't show up for the first service for the kids on uh today. Do you know who checked all the parents in? I did it. Hopefully they were happy with the service. Right? And and the goal of the the check-in system isn't it isn't it isn't to like track your church attendance to see if you're here or not. It's it's to help you know that your kids are safe, we care about your kids, we love you, we love you as parents. And if we're not doing that, then, then we shouldn't do it. So he's, he's uniquely gifted. You're uniquely gifted. Let, let me ask the question, do you know what your gift is to the congregation and to the community that you're a part of? And if you don't, you should ask because you have one. And here's a good way to know, and I've, I've said this before. When you come in on Sunday, if there's something that you don't like about church, you walk in, you go, man, you know, the color of the walls isn't that great? Good news, you're now our decorator. The music's too loud. We need sound tech. There should be more guitar. Better learn guitar. Don't neglect your gift. Where's your passion? If someone says to me, they say, I want to serve. Where should I serve? The first thing I ask is, where's your passion? And if you don't have a passion, the next thing I say is, here's the need. Go serve. And see what God does. And, And you can try that out for a while. If it doesn't work, we'll move you to another territory. We'll figure it out until you figure out your gift. And we'll give you resources and sermons and material and books to read in order for you to develop that. So number three, now is he also genuinely cared. Notice the words that he uses. They all seek their own interests of those, but he seeks the interest of Jesus Christ. And he, he is just as concerned with the church as Paul was. And the reason he cared for the church is because he saw in Paul how Paul cared for the church. He had a good example before him. Listen to the language in Timothy, Corinthians, Hebrews, and Philippians that Paul uses about Timothy. Timothy's my true child in the faith. He's my beloved son, my beloved and faithful child, our brother, our fellow bondservant in Philippians. And then here he says says this, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served. Is a son with a father. It's relational. And so he sees he sees this genuine care, just as Paul does, again, that we would genuinely care for each other. And the only way that you can do that, again, is if you see each other as family. One thing I've learned as a father is you you cannot just check out. Like, it is nonstop to care for your children, isn't it, parents? Twenty-four-seven. We were getting ready for bed last night. I thought, man, we're... Dad's ready to relax. Only for a few minutes later for one of the kids to wake up crying because they're not feeling well. They're sick. She, my daughter has this, this kind of itch that's happening on her that she's had for a few weeks trying to figure it out. We don't know if it's laundry detergent or or whatever it is, but she, all of a sudden we're not resting. We're dealing with a crying little girl. And I'm always thankful when it's my little girl that's crying because I am more sympathetic to her than I am the boys. She's just so much cuter than the guys, you know. A genuine care, again, he was sympathetic, he saw that from Paul, he loved. Number four, he sought the interests of Jesus, not his own. There are far too many leaders, especially within large Christian churches, and I don't say this to diss a large Christian church, I actually, you know, being, <laughs> interesting enough, being a part of a district and, and sitting on a district leadership team that I sit on and, and working with other churches, it What's really crazy is you actually see that there are more prideful, more arrogant pastors of smaller churches than larger churches. you think it'd be the reverse. The big church has the arrogant guy, the big leader guy. That's not always the case. Sometimes in larger churches, uh, pastors are incredible at just delegating authority and ministry to other people and not making it about them. And it might look like it's about them because they're the guy on the stage, but in reality, they're empowering people, empowering people, empowering people, empowering people. But nonetheless, there are pastors and preachers, and we know of some of these churches that they make it all about them, the next book sale or the next project, and, and they're, they're trying to build a kingdom for themselves, the interest of themselves. But Timothy isn't like that. Timothy's seeking the interest of Jesus. Number five, he has proven worth. He was trained. He was part of a team. This is how we pick our elders, by the way. In our church, if we're going to bring someone into our elder team as our shepherds, we look for a couple things. We, we look for, for them to stick around, first of all. They, over a period of time, they've been part of the church, that they love the Bible, that they have an ability to teach in some form or another, that they've been tested. See, Timothy actually served with Paul for at least 10 years. At least 10 years before he was empowered. He shows a, a level of submissiveness and teachability. You know, what's really amazing about our, our our elders right now is when we get around uh, every so often to talk about the leadership of the church and decisions of the church and the finances of the church and all the direction of the church, we sit down and, and we have a conversation about what it is that God wants and we pray and we do a devotion and this is what we do on a regular basis. And I've had even some people say, well, do you have a bunch of a yes men that are elders? Or they, they just agree with whatever you say. And I go, no, absolutely not. In fact, we have some very healthy confrontation in those meetings, very healthy disagreements. There are times where, where someone says, No, you shouldn't do that. And I said in the first of it, it's normally Doug Brown. That's usually the guy. And in a healthy way, Doug has a way of, in those meetings, right, Andrew? Always something you'd be talking, everyone's, everyone's floating, we're all there. And then Doug's like, Wait a minute, way out of here. And you're like, mm, I want to disagree with you, but I think you have a point. And then, and then we enter into this tension and this growth and this discussion. And you know why it works? And I can honestly tell you this to be true about your leaders. They love the gospel of Jesus Christ and they love the word of God. And they don't care about their status or them being elevated. They care about Jesus being number one. And they're able to disagree in such a beautiful way. And seriously, right, Wayne? Our conversations are... Are, we're not, we don't all agree, and there's different perspective, and there should be because because your leaders should represent the diversity of the church. You're not all the same either. You're all in a different place. And the only way that it works, the only way you can be part of a team, the only way that you can help church move forward without it breaking apart and disintegrating is if you have men and women who are just totally concerned with with the Bible, totally concerned with who Jesus is. That's first and foremost. And then because there's that common mind and that common unity, we can disagree. Because one thing I've, I've learned in leadership, I am not my ideas. I'm, I'm hidden within Christ. Do you know what I mean by that? You, know, you have an idea. You say, we're, we're going to do this outreach. And someone says, that's a bad outreach. Oh, I feel so bad about myself. Well, that, that your idea isn't you. You, you with me? You, you we're part of something greater. So there's this proven worth that we get from our leaders, a submissiveness from our leaders, where they come in and they say, I want to be part of the team. I don't want to be the lead guy. I just want to be a part of it. Some of you don't even know who all of our elders are because they're, they're behind the scenes doing so much for you and praying for you and loving you. And so are their wives. You know what kind of sacrifice some of the wives make for their husbands to be leaders of the church? It's a sacrifice. There are nights I don't come home till 9 o'clock at night Start a meeting at 4.45, don't get home till 9. It's a sacrifice that some of the families make so that the church can benefit. I I hope that you're thankful that you have men inside this church that generally care for the gospel and for the greater good of Jesus. Describing the submissiveness of a good leader, this quote reads, a Christian should be like a sheepdog When the shepherd wants him to do something, he lies down at his feet, looks intently into the shepherd's eyes, and listens without budging until he has understood the mind of his master. Then he jumps to his feet and he runs to do it. The third characteristic is not less important. At no moment does the dog stop wagging its tail. A joy in serving the Lord. And then also like Paul, Timothy was very aware of his weakness. Paul tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but set for an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. See, Timothy was young, and and it was obvious that in the church, people were looking at Timothy and saying, he's too young, he's not mature, he doesn't have enough experience. Right? I I remember remember years years ago, it's been a while now, when people say, Jesse's too young, he's still learning, and all I could say is, I'm working on it. You're too young, I'm working on it. And then I used to have people tell me things like this. Seriously, families in the church. Well, Jesse, you can't really speak into it because you don't have kids. And now I look at some of those people, they had two kids, and I go, you really can't understand because you only had two kids. <laughs> it's the benefit of being with the church for a long time, right? You just don't understand, man. You only had two. And I don't really believe that, just so you know. Some of you are like offended right now. We say, I do know. And some of you right now are saying, wait till he gets to teenagers. And then I say, I led teenagers for almost 10 years, man, and I know how weird they are. So, no, I love I teenagers. In fact, I'll just take a side Eddie to say, there really isn't much, much else that gives me joy in the church than to see our teenagers serving, loving Jesus, and dedicating their lives to God. I absolutely love it. In fact, I want more of them around me. I, I, I will intern you if you were a ten- teenager. I will pour into you. I will do everything I can. To empower teenagers in our church uh, because they are a ton, a ton of fun. Uh, parents, on the other hand, um, they're fun too in a different way. I got to get going here. Epaphroditus is next. Paul says of Epaphroditus, verse twenty-five, he's a brother. Again, language of service. You don't, you, you don't serve alone. Amen. You don't serve alone. Your brother. You're part of a family. There's a unifying aspect to this. The reason I say that I'll disciple young people. I actually have someone who's going to start uh, interning in a week or so. I enjoy it because it helps remind me that I don't do ministry alone. I enjoy the fact that we have uh, the staff that we have because it reminds me I don't do ministry alone. You don't serve alone. You never serve alone. And then number two about Paphroditus in verse 25 as well. He says he's a worker. He's willing to work. He's willing to get his hands dirty. Something I've learned in ministry over the years is: is if you, if if I say to a bunch of guys, "Hey guys, let's get together. We'll talk about the Bible and our feelings." You know how many dudes show up? It's just me. How are you doing? I'm all right. You sure? A little lonely. You're lonely. You know Jesus, right? I end up with a weird bipolar dialogue. <clears throat> but but if I say to a group of dudes, "Hey," We have a family in need, and their roof needs to be shoveled, Are you want to get your hands dirty, and next thing you know, dudes show up, and they start digging snow, and they start sweating, and they start joking, and then inevitably what happens is you start actually having good conversation. I had to do some shoveling at my house the other day, invited a guy over, started out shoveling, ended up in a deep, deep conversation about Jesus and theology. Beautiful moment. All that to be said, guys, it's okay if, if you don't want to get together and talk about your emotions. You want to do something for Jesus. That's awesome. Let's do something for Jesus. Let's go shovel some roofs. Let's do some work on the church. Let's, whatever it is you want to get your hands dirty, let's do it. And inevitably what's going to happen, we're, we're going to start talking about feelings. Dick was here this morning. He cooks the bacon for the men's breakfast. Every single Saturday they do it. Say, hey, you want to cook bacon? Yeah talk about your feelings nope more bacon inevitably you eat enough bacon eventually you'll start sharing your feelings he also says in regards to Epaphroditus he's a soldier again this ties into this willingness of of working and fighting it it, it kind of ties in again to the service of men there's struggles and battles and hurts that Paul was going through that that Epaphroditus understood and that's okay Right, and I have to be careful here because inevitably, here's the reality inside the church. I can get women to serve. You dudes, it's tough. You, you, you're afraid to ask. You're afraid to to say, "Hey, you know," you're afraid to teach, afraid to be around kids. It's scary, and it it is fear. Don't act like, "Well, I'm good. No, you're scared, you big chicken. Because it's something about our pride. And so Paul, I think, is, there's a reason why I think oftentimes the Bible emphasizes so heavily male leadership. Because when you get male leadership, you're actually actually getting men involved, which is actually way harder to do than getting women involved. I don't have to talk to the women all that much about it because you guys will just do it. You're great like that. First ones to the cross. First one to break the alabaster jar upon Jesus' feet. Women get it. Women are already there. Dudes, you need the examples of Timothy. You need the example of Paul. You need the example of Epaphroditus. See, Epaphroditus was willing to meet the need. He was available. He, he was the guy who said, send me. Paul said, I got I to gotta send a messenger over to, to the Philippian church. And, and so Epaph- who's going to do it? And Epaphroditus says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go meet the need. And he was so willing to go meet the de- need, he almost died, and he was okay with it. Literally, it tells us in the text that, that, he, that he, he became so ill on his journey that he almost lost his life. And Paul says, this created anxiety in me. And God was so good to you as the church because Epaphroditus came from your church and he didn't die, and we praise God for that. And I praise God for it because I would have been really anxious and filled with pain if he would have died, but instead he's been healed. But nonetheless, Epaphroditus was a man who was willing to take a risk for the Lord. He was willing to lay his life down. He was willing to lay his life down for Jesus Christ and the people of God. He also obviously had a love for Paul, and a love for the church as a whole. I think if we put everything in one big bow and say, what does it take to actually serve? It takes humility. It takes a a humbleness that exists in Jesus Christ that we can receive from Jesus. And then it requires us to actually really have a deep love for people. So let's return back to the question. Do you really love the people you're around? Do you really love your church? Because you won't serve if you don't. And you won't get the joy of being out in the driveway shoveling snow as a child does with his father. There are memories I have serving alongside of my dad that will exist forever. And I'm so thankful for them. Now that he is gone and he is in heaven, I am so eternally grateful for the memories I have. And I would invite you into that process into the church. To not only have that impact in your own life, but to be a leader in such a way, a servant in such a way, that you're doing that for other people below you. This is how we continue to thrust the gospel and thrust the important message of Jesus Christ into the next however many years it takes before he comes home. couple notes on service that the Bible speaks of and then we'll take communion. One, you're stewarding the mysteries of God. To be a servant is to steward the mystery of God. That God, God in his eternal wisdom sees fit to use frail human beings to put his work forward. Number two, it will require some self-discipline. That's okay, isn't it? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's a discipline he had there. There's a discipline that we'll need to have. Paul says he disciplines his body and keeps it under control. Number three, we have to know, as Galatians tells us, that your serving will not be in vain. And I can tell you sometimes as a pastor, I wonder, is anybody getting it, including myself? There are times where it feels like no one's getting saved, no one's discipling, no one's making any faith-filled risk. There's no growth in the church, and the Bible reminds me: no, that the, there is no returning a void of preaching God's word. He's faithful, and every now and then something comes forward. I, I had someone email me this last week, and I needed it, man. Be coming to our church for about a year or so. They came from another church in Reading, and she emailed me, gal in her 40s, and she said, I just need you to know that the ministry of Sierra Bible Church has reawoken my faith, and I'm in love with Jesus again. That's the kind of stuff that makes me, okay, I'll give you another two weeks. Because it's hard to lay your life down for people. It's hard to sacrifice, but it's not in vain. And lastly, you have to see it as joy. You have to see that you're going to get joy out of this. You're going to have to see that there's reward in this and that it is worth it because you won't make it if you don't. I mean, I, like I said, I poured, I have poured a lot of time and energy in a lot of different different kids over the years and different people. I'm blessed to actually say some of the young men I've poured into, have become youth pastors, missionaries. Just in the short time of 14 years of being at Sierra Bible Church. We've had kids just in that time come up through the, the church, get do internships here. Now they're in ministry. And it's worth it. You look at those moments, man, thank you, Lord, that there's a young man in Michigan right now that came out of Sierra Bible Church who's a youth pastor of the church. Some of you might remember him. Eric O'Connell. Some of you remember that kid? Boy, he was a pain in the butt. He was. He was a hard kid. And now he's a full-time youth pastor. Caleb Dero interned here. He's a, youth pa- he's a youth pastor here in town at another church. Praise the Lord for that. When young people, people in general say, Jesus is worth it, man. And let me make a side note because so many of you are not going to be youth pastors, and to that we all say amen. And so many of you are not going to be pastors, and you're not going to be missionaries. You're going to be a cop. You're going to be a school teacher. You're going to be a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a builder, a construction worker, a ski lift operator. And it's easy to hear messages like this and go, I want to serve the Lord, but I'm just that. I'm, just, I'm not a pastor. What kind of impact can I have? Huge. Everywhere you go, Christ is with you which means that you are the gospel that is preached, the physical gospel that is preached to them everywhere you're at. What do people see when they encounter you? And hopefully they walk away and they don't go, they don't do this, they don't say, oh man, Andrew made me feel really good about myself. Or, oh man, Andrew's just such a great guy. They walk away and say, there's something there they don't, say, they don't look at you and say, oh, he's really prideful. They don't look at you and say, oh, he's really lowly. They just, they just walk away with a, this weird, untangible, what is that? Why is he nice? Why does he smile? Why is he so gracious? Why does he give me grace when I know I deserve punishment? That doesn't mean you give A's when they deserve a D. In the gospel name, I, you know, Could you imagine? It'd be ridiculous. Don't do that. Um, it's just being, but here's the thing. It's just being you, but being mindful that Jesus is with you in that moment. That'll make the moment supernatural. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's it's just acknowledging that where you're at, God's presence is there. And when you recognize God's presence is there, the way you act and the way you talk will be different, and God will honor it. And then evangelism happens, and you didn't even know it. It's a mystery. It's a great mystery. I can tell you that whenever I do that as a pastor, and I don't, I can tell you, have told it before, I don't tell people I'm a pastor. I don't do that. I just be me. And inevitably, people start asking questions, and then they start coming to church, or then they start coming to a small group, or then they start going to another church. They start asking questions. They start asking for books. I've had people come me. what book would you recommend about learning about Jesus? Oh, book of Matthew. Oh, I looked it up on Amazon. Can't find it. Send the Bible, dude. Well, there's other books I use. With that said, I'm going to invite um, those of you who are elders and deacons and that I've asked to serve. Uh, Frank, if you want to come on up. and um, They're going to pass communion to you. My, yeah, Andrew, thank you. John, would you be willing to help out on this side? Or down the middle. Brad's here. You go down the middle. Brad and Wayne will take that side. You guys take that side. You'll figure it out. It's just passing the plate. So as the guys hand out the bread, go ahead. You guys can hand out the bread. Um, remember, right, the the humility thing and the service thing doesn't work if we don't understand that these things are in Jesus first. Okay, how do I serve? You've already been served. That's The first step is you have to understand Jesus has already served you. So your needs are already met. See, sometimes people don't serve because they don't feel like their needs are being met. And the reason they don't feel like their needs are being met is because they don't see that Jesus has already met all of your needs. None of us in this room, for those of us in the room who believe in Jesus Christ and have a faith in Jesus Christ, you have to see in the gospel Jesus meets all of your emotional and physical needs. You know, here's something that's really crazy You think about in the Tahoe area. Every one of us in this room, we've all had a place to stay this winter, haven't we? We've all had a roof. We've had power, some of us. And if you didn't have power, it wasn't nearly as bad as two years ago. How long did you go without power and prosper two years ago, Wayne? A week? Ten days. Fourteen hours, Mavis said. Jesus knew you needed your heat, Mavis. My point is, God has been, he's so faithful. He's so faithful to us. And when you see that, you're empowered to serve. And the biggest way that we see the faithfulness of Jesus Christ is in the practice of communion. He literally gives us his body. He literally gives us his blood. And sometimes in, grab one of those for me, sometimes in, um, You know, I remember praying as a kid, man, my mom would say, she'd pray this prayer. It sounded so weird to me as a kid. Remember, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so all of a sudden, you know, my mom gets saved. I'm around 12 years old, and she starts praying with me. She's sharing the gospel with me, and she's telling me about Jesus. And we had some spiritual warfare in our home, man, just some dark stuff. In fact, I I think at one point, Wayne came over and prayed over our home. It was so dark. I was having demonic dreams. I thought I was seeing demons in our, our house. It was crazy. I remember my mom would pray. She'd pray, Lord, I pray that you would cover us in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a young man, I'd be like, dude, that sounds wrong. Not knowing what that meant, you know. What does it mean to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? It wasn't until I realized that the prayer is tied deeply into the theological implication that you are hidden within Christ. That Christ's blood is pure and it is perfect. There is no sin in it. That is blood within blood, which contains life, is all that is good. The righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the goodness of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God. All that we would think that God is, it's, it's within the blood. And it was a prayer of recognizing that we are truly covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're hidden within Christ. You know, that amazing truth is that when you and I pray to Jesus... That Jesus doesn't see, that that Jesus God the Father does not see you as a sinner. He sees you hidden in Christ. That when he sees you, he sees his son. He sees you just as a son, just as a daughter. You are brought to the same level of Jesus, if you will. Not in the form of deity. You're not worthy of worship. But in the sense of God's everlasting love. Capture this for a moment. God the Father loves you just as much as he loves the Son. That's incredible. And when we get that, that's when we come to a place of surrender and humility. And we open ourselves up to true gospel change and true gospel service. And so as we partake together, let us be reminded that we're truly covered by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, we thank you that you made the sacrifice necessary for us to be reconciled to yourself. I pray this morning as we started out our morning that if we are in a place of physical hurting, mental distress or anxiety, depression, whatever it might be, we ask for you to be sufficient to us, to heal us. We ask for you to fight the spiritual battle. Of course, as we ask for that petition, we we would pray that that we truly all would be covered in the blood of the Lamb to know that we are hidden within you and protected from eternal harm. Continue to fight the spiritual battle for our church to help us grow and to do well in our families and our lives as husbands, fathers, children, uncles, aunts, nieces, nephews. Help us to surrender to you in a way, Lord, that is holistic and healthy for us and that glorifies you. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. His body broken for us. Let's sing. God bless you. Would you stand for this last song?